The following episode originally premiered on the YouTube channel, so by all means subscribe so you don't miss out on any episodes. You're listening to the Andres Segovia Show. Hey everyone and welcome to another video. In this one, it's actually a hybrid video slash podcast because uh, I don't have enough time to prep this, but I did want to share the information that uh, was dispelled in this, I guess you could say interview that the Apartments Owners Association did with the Pacific Legal Foundation. This was a live stream that they did. So I'm going to leave a link to the actual live stream in the video description down below for those of you watching on YouTube and for those listening on the website. You'll find the show notes accompanying this episode at www.theandrasegova.com. You'll find embedded in there that very presentation. I'm only going to play the part of uh, when the Pacific Legal Foundation attorney is talking about what actions are being taken against uh, um, the Judicial Council of California that enacted Emergency Rule 1, which basically stipulated zero evictions whatsoever. Basically, the eviction moratorium that goes on in perpetuity because there really isn't any end to it. Um, Right now, uh, all the evictions are on hold until... 90 days after Governor Gavin Newsom here in California declares that the emergency is over and seeing that we're in a second shutdown, basically, uh, when will that be? Nobody knows because even though there's been a lot of stuff put into place in terms of protections for, for tenants and for select businesses, property owners have not been afforded the same thing. If any, if anything, they've been stuck holding the bill and with zero income or revenue coming in, they're also being told that they cannot shut down their operations either, which doesn't make any sense so um it's with that that uh, there was action that was being threatened against uh, the judicial council of california for their unconstitutional um ex- emergency order and uh, we'll see how far this gets but this is uh, an update regards that and it goes into the entirety of the detail of what led up to it what all this all is what it means to you and there is there is a question and answer section after that but i'm not going to play it here that's why i recommend you go over to the apartment association um website or even the, the video description down below uh, you'll be able to find that link to go to the q a section so you can hear it yourself so i recommend watching the entirety so you can learn a thing or two but uh yeah that that's that that's it for that one for this video so thank you so much for watching what follows now is a segment of that long presentation that i recommend you all to check out so thank you so much for watching and i'll do an end cap after this so our speaker today um really i wish that al Leibowitz would be able to introduce him today because it's really al and dan that have played such a major role in in um bringing this to the attention of Pacific Legal Foundation. And anyway, they are an incredible nonprofit organization. So they do rely on uh, your donation and they their practice focuses on the separation of powers. And um, anyway, so it's a powerful group <clears throat> and in fighting for our, our rights and our freedoms and, and uh, the way that actually works in America. And um, so our guy, he's really sharp. He graduated from Stanford Law School. He clerked at the, as a, for a federal judge at the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of California. And um, it's my pleasure to introduce to you Michael Poon. Oh, and before I, before I introduce him, I, I do forget, I forgot to say one thing. And that's for the questions today, you may have landlord-tenant questions, but he is not an eviction attorney. 
And so that is not his wheelhouse. He will not be able to answer the questions. And even if you ask the questions, we won't even, I will not ask him. <clears throat> However, there is that blue help button on the right side, bottom right side of your screen. If you click on that, you can put in a question that pertains to this lawsuit. So ask him questions about this lawsuit. Um, listen to him. And if you have questions, then we'll take, we'll have question and answer time after this. Thank you. So I'm turning it over to Michael. It's really a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, Jeff, and thanks for having me. Um, it's great to be able to speak about this topic that's affecting so many landlords. Um, before I begin, I just want to acknowledge the unfairness that a lot of landlords are facing right now. You, you hear it from great organizations like the AOA, but you really don't hear it enough, I think. Um, it's, it's not a matter of whether you can absorb loss. It's not a matter, matter of whether you're uh, near bankruptcy or you're really struggling because of this coronavirus pandemic. The question is whether we still have property rights in this country and in the state, whether contracts still matter, whether two people can still come together and come to an agreement for mutual gain and follow those terms of the agreement. And that's that's what's being placed on your backs right now. The idea that the coronavirus pandemic needs to be, someone needs to bear the cost and we're just gonna put it on landlords. And it's it's not it's not fair. You know, if the government is going to require that you keep people in, in your in your property, they should pay you. There there should be some sort of uh, program that makes sure that you are not the one just taking on this burden. You shouldn't have to. Um, but with that said, uh, let's go on to the next slide and we'll talk about emergency rule one. Emergency rule one is one of the eviction moratoria that is in effect in California right now. And how it works is it, it tells courts that they're not going to issue summonses anymore. They're not going to issue defaults or default judgments in unlawful detainer actions. This emergency rule one was issued by the California Judicial Council, which is an agency within the judicial branch of the California state government. And it's responsible for uh, administrative things inside, the, inside of the judiciary. Things like, uh, it'll issue rules on things like uh, the format of briefs, um, minor deadlines, small procedural matters. Uh, and what they've done in emergency rule one, of course, is they've taken on a much larger role and said, we're just not going to hear eviction cases anymore. Uh, there are two, two important parts of emergency rule one to know beyond the fact that it, it stops courts from hearing lawful detainer actions. Um, one is that it doesn't have a specified end date. It is pinned to the emergency declaration regarding the coronavirus pandemic. So it sunsets 90 days after the end of the declaration of emergency. And that is, uh, there's no end in sight for that. Uh, and two is there is facially a public health and safety exception to emergency rule one. So the idea is if you have some sort of public health and safety problem with a tenant that requires you to evict them, you would be able to, you would be able to do that. Uh, but the problem is that there is no particular procedure for how to do this. Um, 
it's the, the application of the exception is at the discretion of the court. So there's, it's, it's really, um, not a very functional exception in, in our view. So that's emergency rule one. Uh, get to the next slide. I want to talk a little bit about the relationship between emergency rule one, local eviction moratoria, and the governor's executive orders, because there has been some confusion in this regard um, about when emergency rule one ends, when the local moratoria will end. So emergency rule one is statewide. Uh, it applies to all the courts, all the state courts, and it's issued by the Judicial Council, and it, it ends 90 days after the, the emergency declaration terminates. Now, that's, that's one eviction moratorium that we have in the state right now. Uh, another layer of uh, tenant protections is the county eviction moratoria. The county eviction moratoriums are, are by county. And those are supported, both the emergency rule one and the county eviction moratoria are supported by uh, the governor's executive orders. There's one executive order uh, called N3820 or order 38, which supports emergency rule one. It suspends various statutes so that emergency rule one can go forward and not be in conflict with, with the law. That's what it does. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But um, that's Order 38. It doesn't have an end date. All right. And then we have uh, Executive Order N2820 or Order 28. And that uh, originally ended on May 31st, but it's been pushed out um, several times and it now ends on September 30th. So if, if nothing changes between now and September 30th, then the order, th order 28, the one that supports the county moratoria, will expire. And the county moratoria would then, the idea goes, uh, the county moratoria would then no longer be in effect. They wouldn't be supported by the executive order anymore, and state law would come back into effect with respect to the county moratoria. But because there's no end date for uh, emergency rule one or the, the governor's executive order supporting emergency rule one, emergency rule one would still be in effect even after September 30th, even after the county moratoria go away. And so landlords seeking to evict a tenant really have to overcome both, both layers. They have to overcome the, the county moratoria, moratoria and the uh, statewide emergency rule one. So that's, that's something that um, is important to keep in mind. Um, if we can get to the next slide, then we'll, we'll, I'll talk about, about uh, Christensen versus California Judicial Council, which is our lawsuit against uh, Emergency Rule 1. In this lawsuit, we're representing two, um, two landlords. They're both retirees, Peggy Christensen and Peter Martin. Uh, Peggy rented to a, a tenant and he brought in his girlfriend. Uh, he subsequently left the apartment and she stayed there and they felt bad for her and she let her stay. But she started damaging the property. She started creating a nuisance. She got lots of complaints from neighbors. 
Uh, and so Peggy tried to evict her, but she wasn't able to because of emergency rule one. Uh, now Peter is is um, Peter owns a 27 space mobile home park, and he had a tenant that seemed to be caught up in drug issues. There was a search warrant served on his home. Uh, he had been arrested um, on drug and firearms charges. And so he tried to evict him for being related for, for being uh, involved in, in drug related activities. And he wasn't able to do that because of emergency rule, emergency rule one. And both of these tenants are not paying rent. So it's, it's really putting Peggy and Peter in a tough spot. Like I imagine many of you are in the, the suit is currently in Kern County Superior Court and it makes two major points. One is that emergency rule one is, is an exercise of legislative power. It's the idea that the judiciary should not be making policy. It shouldn't be weighing the interests of society and picking winners and losers and saying that, that you know, we're going to put the burden of the coronavirus pandemic on landlords. That's not something the judiciary gets to do. Uh, the second part of it is that the judiciary ignored all of the pre-existing laws that say uh, summonses have to issue at this point. Defaults have to issue at this point. It ignored all of the legislature's mandates that, that control how lawful detainer actions go. So uh, let me get a little bit into that. So we make three claims that raise these two points. The first claim is a, a separation of powers claim. The California state constitution explicitly divides power amongst the three branches of government, legislative, executive, judicial, and it says people who wield a certain kind of power can't wield any of the other two kinds of power. So someone in, in the judiciary, for example, can't exercise legislative or executive power. Uh, and that's really what has happened here. Um, when the Judicial Council issued Emergency Rule 1, part of, the, part of the report that accompanied Emergency Rule 1 said, uh, the pre-existing eviction moratoria, the, the pre-existing help for, for tenants, it's, it's not enough. We have to step in. And, and that's something that they're, they're not allowed to do. Um, and again, when the Judicial Council uh, considered amending Emergency Rule 1 to have its sunset in August, they ultimately didn't do that. They pulled back. But at one point, they considered amending emergency rule one so that it was sunset in August. And when that happened, um, the judicial council explained, you know, the legislature wasn't in session when we issued emergency rule one. Now they are. Um, they weren't there to address this, this housing issue. So that's why we stepped in. Again, these are just, this is just more evidence of the fact that the judicial council stepped into the legislature's role it, it picked winners and losers. It weighed weighed the the interests of society, and it, it struck a balance. And it's not allowed to do that. Judges, courts are supposed to apply the law, not make the law, and that's what they did here. Um, so that's one. the The second claim that we bring is is 
the California state constitution requires that the rules issued by the judicial council not be inconsistent with statute. Um, and of course, emergency rule one is inconsistent with all of the procedural provisions regarding uh, how unlawful detainer actions are, are carried out. Uh, all of the all of the statute statutory provisions saying summonses issue at this point, defaults issue at this point, default judgments issue at this point. It's inconsistent with all of those, but it's it's inconsistent with more than that. It's also inconsistent with just the, the your right, your 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 right to have um to to be able to evict someone, your right to reentry, your right to possess your property. These are all statutory rights that emergency rule one ignores and is inconsistent with. And so that's that's the basic claim for, for the second one. We expect that the government's response would be that order 38, the executive order supporting emergency rule one, allows, allows the judicial council to issue emergency rule one. Now I wanna get a little bit into order 38 and what it does uh, because it's, it's pretty important. So order 38, was issued under the governor's authority under the Emergency Services Act. The Emergency Services Act allows the governor to suspend statutes, certain statutes under certain conditions. And so the argument is that emergency so order 38 suspends all of these statutes that uh, emergency rule one is inconsistent with. And because those statutes are suspended, Emergency Rule 1 isn't actually inconsistent with them. And so Emergency Rule 1 doesn't violate this constitutional provision saying rules issued by the Judicial Council have to be consistent with statute. Now, there are a lot of problems with that. Um, this Emergency Services Act doesn't just let the governor suspend any sort of statute. He has to follow certain procedures. First, he has to declare that statute in question, statute being suspended, is impeding the recovery from, from the emergency at hand. He didn't do that in Order 38. He did that in various other uh, executive orders relating to other things, but in Order 38, he didn't do that. And so he can't use the Emergency Services Act to suspend those statutes without having made that finding. It's one of those accountability mechanisms that the, one of the very few accountability mechanisms that uh, the legislature created to ensure that emergency powers aren't used just willy-nilly, right? So that's that's one problem with uh, Order 38. Another problem is that the governor can only suspend certain kinds of statutes under the Emergency Services Act. He can only suspend regulatory statutes, uh, statutes regarding the conduct of state business, and he can only suspend regulations. So those are the three kinds of uh, items that the governor can suspend under the Emergency Services Act. Now, um, these these unlawful detainer provisions are, are none of those, right? Um, these are really about your ability to vindicate your right to go back into your property. It is not a regulatory statute. It's not something about uh, conduct of state business, and it's not a regulation. So the, the Emergency Services Act just doesn't let the governor suspend these unlawful detainer statutes. Uh, third, in Order 38, the order that 
supposedly supports emergency rule one. In that order, uh, the governor only suspended procedural statutes that would that would get in the way of, of the judicial council rules. That order only suspended procedural statutes. Now, what what uh, what that means is that Order 38 can't be used to suspend, for example, the statutory provisions saying you have a substantive right to enter your property to evict someone who isn't who isn't carrying out the terms of the lease properly. Uh, it doesn't suspend those statutes, and so those those statutes are still in force, even if everything about Order 38 was fine, even if it followed the Emergency Services Act to, to the, the T. Um, it's, it doesn't suspend those statutes. And so Emergency Rule 1 is still inconsistent with those statutes, and it still violates the California constitutional provision that says rules have to be consistent with statute. That's another problem with it. And one of the very big problems, the fourth really big problem with Order 38 is that it really gives the governor's power, the suspension power, over to the judicial council. What Order 38 actually says is, if um, if the judicial council considers a rule that would considers adopting a rule that would violate, that would be inconsistent with the statute, then I will suspend that rule if it's a if it's a procedural statute. I will suspend that. I suspend that rule. Um, and what this really does is it gives it gives the choice of which statutes to suspend to the judicial council, right? Because what it means is uh, whatever sorts of rules that the judicial council wants to consider, contrary statutes are suspended. Uh, it's it's not the governor saying this statute, this statute, this statute, these are impeding recovery, I'm going to suspend them. And so that's a problem because the governor can't just give his power to another branch of government. The legislature was clear that the governor needs to make this decision, that the governor needs to declare these specific provisions are impeding recovery and need to be suspended. So necessarily, he cannot he cannot declare that whatever statutes the judicial council uh, thinks are in the way, that those are that those are impeding recovery. He doesn't even know what statutes they are yet when he signs the executive order. So that's that's a fourth uh, major problem. And the final problem is has to do with emergency rule one's termination date. Emergency rule one, uh, by its own terms, ends ninety days after the end of a declaration of emergency. So if the governor were to end the uh, declaration of emergency today, uh, we'd have 90 days. It would be, I guess it would be October before emergency rule one expired. And the problem with that is the governor only has suspension powers under the Emergency Services Act when there is a declaration of emergency in effect. So once his declaration of emergency ends, even if everything about Order 38 were, were uh, kosher, it followed Emergency Services Act, and it, 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 uh, it encompasses all of these statutes, 
that emergency rule one conflicts with, even if all of that were the case, as soon as the emergency declaration ends, all of those statutes come back into effect. The order, uh, order 38 goes away, the suspension goes away, and at that point, emergency rule one would conflict with all of these statutes and violate the California constitutional provision that says rules have to be consistent with statute. So those are the five main problems with Order 38. Uh, so Order 38 isn't properly issued, doesn't cover any of these uh, statutes. And because of that, the, uh, the Judicial Council could not have relied on Order 38 in order to issue the emergency rule one. And because Order 38 is defective, that means that emergency rule one is inconsistent with all of the statutes saying unlawful detainer actions have to proceed a certain way. And because of that, it's unconstitutional. Uh, so that's the second major claim. The third major claim in uh, Christensen versus California Judicial Council is rules issued by the Judicial Council can't be substantive rules. This, again, comes out of the California Constitution, which recognizes that the Judicial Council, the courts have to be able to issue rules for, for how courts conduct themselves. Uh, for you know, minor administrative details that the courts need to deal with. But, but it recognized that these sorts of rules can't step on the legislature's toes, that they have to be limited to procedural questions, they have to be limited to administrative issues that the Judicial Council isn't here to make the law. So that provision is in the California state, state constitution. Um, and clearly, emergency rule one is, is not, not following that because it's, it's not just a procedural question that emergency rule one is addressing. Very facially, it is. It's, it's just talking about summonses and uh, defaults and default judgments. But what it's really doing, its effect, is to say, you don't really have a right to evict people anymore. That's a substantive determination. And that means it's, it violates this portion of the California State Constitution. Um, one more note about uh, Christensen versus California Judicial Council. The, this, this suit is one that if we win, if everything goes well, uh, what we ask for in this suit is for the court to order the Judicial Council to revoke emergency rule one. And what that means is that would apply to everyone statewide. So even though we only have Peggy and Peter in the suit, uh, if we win, emergency rule one would be gone for everyone. Uh, that still leaves the, the local ordinances, the local eviction moratoria that landlords will still have to worry about, uh, but it gets one major barrier out of the way. So uh, that's why we're really focusing on this suit. Um, let's see. So that is, that is the, the case in a nutshell. If we uh, get to the next slide, and this is really the end of the presentation, but I wanted to, to drop a quick note before I wrap up. Um, 
landlords are really used to doing things by book, I think. Um, you know, everything is very orderly. You have a contract. You follow the contract. You honor your obligations. If something goes wrong, you go to court. Uh, I think landlords tend not to kick up a fuss. But this is really the time, like Dan was saying, this is really the time for you to be speaking up. It is really important that you make your voice heard because it's because landlords often don't speak up as loudly as, as tenants' rights groups, for example, that they, they just keep getting burdened with additional regulations, additional uh, sacrifices that they're, they're forced to make for the community. You know, it's, it's, it's the sort of thing where you really need to go to your city, city council meetings. You need to go to your county supervisors. You need to email the judicial council. You need to get in contact with the governor's office. You need to talk to your local media, your local radio stations. You need to get out there because you're, you're, you're fighting for your lives. You're fighting for your businesses. You're fighting for the, 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 the idea that two people can still get together and come to an agreement and honor that agreement. This, these are, these are not things that you should take lying down. You need to get out there and tell your story. Tell your story about uh, the, the sorts of problems you're having, the sorts of tenants that, that are, that you can't evict and the sort of people you've had to turn away because because you, you, you're forced to, to keep these tenants. Um, you just get out there because it's, it's that important. People are, this is a, a moment when we're really talking about as a state, as a, as a country, how society should, should be structured. And it's not the time to be silent. So that's, that's the end of my presentation. Um, and let's go to Q&A. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Andres Segovia Show. Remember to like, share, and subscribe to stay in the know. If you want a question featured on the program, or you never know, it could be an episode all on its own, you can message me at any of the social media links available at my website, www.theandresegovia.com. Also available there are all the directories where you can find my show. Remember to also follow me on YouTube and Instagram where other exclusive content resides. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the program. I'll see you on the next one.